Today, as we've been doing uh, each past Sunday, we're looking at what it means to follow Jesus. And each Sunday, the readings have been bringing us closer and closer, kind of circling around kind of like the main idea, if you're a follower of Jesus. So in a sense, uh, today's sermon is aimed at those who are following Jesus. Um, if you're a guest and visitor here and you, you're not, you don't identify as a Christian, we're so glad you're here. We still have songs and prayers and you're very welcome. There's still wisdom here from Jesus for everyone. But the specific word that we're hearing today is definitely for those of us who have decided that we follow Jesus. Because if we have an honest faith or an honest spirituality and we're trying to follow Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves, well, what does that actually look like? What does it entail? Right? That's fair. That's honest. And so today, in today's reading, Jesus gives kind of like the answer. And it's one that is uh, uncomfortable to hear. It's uncomfortable in any age, but definitely uncomfortable in our culture, in our modern Western way of seeing things. What Jesus says can't land comfortably. So we got to talk about it. Jesus says to his followers, if you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me, right? Pick up your cross and follow me. That's the shape. Oof. All right. That's the hard one. Now we have to understand what that means. And we have to do two moves. One, we have to understand that Jesus is saying this for all of us to hear He's saying it within the context of a very tense moment that we heard between himself and his good friend, Peter. And so that is what we should talk about. First, um, Peter rebukes Jesus. That's what we heard today. Jesus is teaching his followers that the climax of his ministry, the climax of his mission on earth is coming to an end. It's actually going to end in his death. All right. And Peter couldn't handle this. Now, why couldn't Peter handle this? Well, aside from Jesus being his dear friend and teacher, to understand Peter's reaction, we have to think about our last Sunday together because we had another important scene last Sunday with Peter and Jesus. Last Sunday, we saw how Jesus was asking his followers, who do people say I am? And then his friend said, well, some people say you're a great prophet, or you're a great teacher, right? And then Jesus sort of narrows it down and tells his friends, okay, that's what the people say I am, but who do you say I am? And then his friends are thinking it through, and then Peter has a moment of revelation, and then Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Peter lands on something incredibly accurate. In other words, what Peter was saying last week, last Sunday, he's saying, yeah, people say you're a great prophet, people are saying that you're a great teacher, maybe a great teacher among many teachers, but now I'm getting a deep sense that there's something unique about you, Jesus. There's something about you that no one else has, that you are the unique Messiah, that you are, you are the Son of God, and I believe in you and only you. And then when Peter says that, Jesus says, he blesses Peter, he says, what well, you just said, that revelation that comes from God, in other words, you're seeing things exceedingly accurately. Well done, Peter. And he blesses him and he gives him responsibilities. It's a wonderful moment. 
So Peter now, maybe he's a little hopped up. He's feeling great. Jesus blessed me. I'm a, I'm a leader in this new movement. And he, I was right. He's the Messiah. Now that word, Messiah, you may be familiar with it. It's okay if you're not. Messiah is a technical term. For someone to be the Messiah, that would be, uh, uh, it has political ramifications. You're a leader. You're like a king. You're a person who can receive and discern God's will. And you can also lead. You're a political leader. So when Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, Peter and his friends would have understood, Jesus, whoever you are, we're now seeing that you are very unique. There's no one like you. And for you to be here, this changes everything. This changes our lives because, of course, Peter and his friends come from the ancient Jewish people. At that time, in their own homeland, they had been conquered by the Romans and they were being severely oppressed. So for Peter and his friends to see Jesus and say, you're the Messiah, you're going to change things. Okay, so we're at the beginning beginning of a new political order, a new movement, a new spiritual religious order. Everything's going to change. And if you think about it, it would have to be that way. If God right now showed up in this room, the living God showed up here physically manifested, you have to understand there, there would be no more prime ministers. No more presidents. No more kings and queens. You understand that if God shows up here, the order changes. So Peter understood that. And so when Jesus, when Peter is saying, wow, this is incredible, something new is happening. And then Jesus says to his followers, that's right. And so you have to understand that for this to completely work, I'm going to have to die. Once he starts teaching them that, you can begin to understand why Peter reacted that way. Because all of us here, to some degree, we're political, let's say, to different degrees, right? Some of us, uh, well, we vote. Some of us might not, but some of us vote. And maybe when we vote, we um, do some research, right, on the websites, see what the candidates are saying. Maybe sometimes we get, become very passionate about uh, a certain political leader that's emerging. Maybe we pin a lot of hopes in that leader, right? And so you don't have to be a political scientist to sort of discern what you like of a political leader. And then you think to yourself, well... What can't happen, of all the things, you don't have to be a campaign manager, but what can't happen if you're looking at a candidate is to say, uh, what you can't, you can't die. Right? Because if the candidate dies, that's it. There's no more platform. The momentum ends. The policies you were hoping to, that would be enacted disappear. So when Jesus says, yeah, I'm the person who changes everything. There's no one like me. And now I have to die. Alarms. No. Peter understands the world. This can't be this way. Candidates can't die. If you're going to be a king, you're going to, uh, uh, you know, kick out the Romans from our home. Well, you can't be dead. And so when Peter rebukes Jesus, that's where Jesus turns around. And he doesn't mince his words. He says to his friend, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking with a divine mind. You don't understand divine things. You're only seeing this from the human point of view. You don't know what you're talking about, so don't be a hindrance to me. Get back. That's hard to hear, even with the context. That's hard to hear. Now, we could explain that. We try to explain it. We could say, well, maybe... That was a moment of tough love. 
right? And I, I'll tell you, I'll be honest for myself, I have a, a problem. I have like a, I'm nervous around tough love. I think tough love can happen, but more often than not, tough love can often be a mask by which we're trying to help somebody, but we also get our shots in because they hurt our feelings or because we've been upset at them, right? So tough love so rarely lands in the way that it should. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus saying something true, but also getting shots in with Peter? Because Peter annoyed him? No, I don't think that's what's happening. I think Jesus is saying something very specific, almost technical. He's trying to show us something very specific that his followers must know about the arrangement of their relationship and indeed the universe. And therefore, if they have to know it, we have to know it. So Jesus is trying to teach them something so particular that he ha- he's demanding all ears. And Jesus says it. He says, you're, you're, you're missing the point. Your human point of view is of no use here. Because I'm going to tell you something. Here's the shape of an honest human life. The shape of an honest human life is that you follow me, and when you follow me, you must take up your cross. Now, here's the word for the Christians, because that can be cryptic. Last week, Peter said to Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe in you. I have this analytic truth. I believe in you. And then today, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, it is not enough simply to believe in me. You must be willing to follow me even unto death. Because when you say to someone, I'll follow you even unto death, your life is radically different. Right? I think if you're a parent, for example, I'll use that example because I'm a relatively new parent, you know, eight-year-old, two-year-old, six-month-old. And I know deep in my bones that I would give my life for my children I wouldn't have said that about anyone before I had children. I would hope that I'd be noble, but that was an abstract thing. But when I see my children, and if I just conceptualize them in danger, my body reacts, and I know I would jump and give my life for them. My life has been transformed. Similarly, but to a deeper extent, what Jesus is saying, in other words, negatively, put it negatively, it is possible to follow Jesus, to say you follow Jesus, but it's only a a thought experiment. It's only something you agree to in your mind. It hasn't landed in your heart, and functionally your life is no different than when you didn't believe in him. Your priorities are still organized by what you believe and what you find persuasive and convincing, and Jesus is on the shelf, and you only accept what you like, what he says, and what he says that you don't like, you just tuck it away, close the cabinet, And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. If you follow me, it's not just believing me. It's being willing to follow me even unto death. Now, as I was telling my new friend Hunter here, uh, when I I knew I was going to get to this point in the sermon, and uh, I feel like I'm about to pass around some some Kool-Aid. You're going to drink something. 
and I'm not. You got communion under there, but that's not what's happening. I have to explain what I'm saying. That just got really grim. Follow me into death. And let's talk about that. Because it's something very specific. You see, the most generous interpretation that I can think of, that I hear quite often in Christian circles, when Jesus, when people read the verse, take my cross and follow me, people say, well, the, the general principle here, the insight is, we must live unselfish lives. And if we're, so taking up the cross means being unselfish. All right? If, uh, if you need something, I'll give it to you, and hopefully I'm being generous, and I should curb my spending so I can give a little more to charity, or maybe I should stop, you know, curb my time so that I, I volunteer more in the community. Let's say something like that. I should be more unselfish. But you see, the word unselfish exists in ancient Hebrew, in Aramaic, and in Greek. And Jesus doesn't use that word. He could have. Notice that Jesus could have said anything. If you're going to follow me, be radically unselfish. He could have said that. Notice he doesn't say that. Or he says, if you want to follow me, you got to vote for this particular party. He doesn't say that. Or if you want to follow me, you know, get fit, you know, get get an pack. I don't know. He could have said anything. He could have been clear. He doesn't say any of that. He says, follow me, take up my cross. Why that? Because Jesus knows what he's about. Jesus knows what he's doing and what he's going to do. See, at that moment, Jesus is looking at the fact that not not, it's going to be soon after this moment. He's going to be arrested. He's going to willingly submit his life and give his life on the cross. He's going to willingly give his life because in some way that it's hard for us to understand really ever, in some way, when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes into his body, he takes into his being uh, human brokenness and suffering, our alienation from God and each other. He takes it into himself and he destroys it. In other words, he takes sin to himself and he kills sin. And I know that's an uncomfortable word, sin. And sometimes we don't even believe it's real. But it is. And we see its effects in this world. I see it when I meet people in this town who cannot find affordable housing because a few people in this world have all the money and have all the property and can't fathom giving a little bit so some people can live and work. That is the outworking of avarice, of greed, and if you have one word for it, is sin. There are people in this world that can't stand another country to be free, and so they wage wars, pillage, murder, rape. This is, defines our human history. So you don't, I, don't have to go, I don't have to go hard in the paint to convince you that sin is real. We have a problem. We've always had a problem. God knew about it. And instead of wiping us away and starting all over again, God, because God is love, Drew, drew near, drew close. So close, in fact, that he identified as one of us, came as a human, not only to show us the way, to give us the greatest teaching ever unfurled to humanity, but also to do something about it. He gave himself. You see, because love, for love to be love, love must be infinitely giving. If you actually love, to think about what love is to define it, is an infinite giving of the self for the other. There is no limits. And I think you know this is true. If anyone's ever told you they loved you, 
and then immediately withheld part of themselves? Or they said they loved you, but they withheld resources or affection or intimacy. Even a child can know. A child who is not furnished with their ideas or words, if you tell them you love them, but then you hold back, they can sense it. We are incredibly equipped and good at detecting falsity in love. Because we understand that true love gives itself without limit, without reserve. And that is what God has done in Jesus. Jesus, who had all the wealth, all the glory, all the life, came to us in our brokenness and said, I'm going to spill my life out for you. And it's not going to be useless. As I give my life for you, your brokenness, I'll take it in, I'll destroy your brokenness, and then I'll afford you new life, new love. And I'll pay it with my life because I love you. You see that? And that's why Jesus says, to follow me, you must take up your cross. In other words, what he's saying, do you have to be unselfish? Well, I think that's going to be an outpouring of it. But really what he's saying is, whatever you do in your life, whatever curbing you do, whatever you give up, whatever suffering you go go through, must be determined and defined by my cross. So Jesus is the standard by which we judge our actions and what we do. Right? But that's not the natural way of things. In our world, what naturally defines us and our actions is death. Death. Because we all know that we die. And what death does is it creates a way of seeing the world, a way of thinking, like an umbrella. And it breeds in us a way of thinking that's a, 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 a mode of thinking that is defined as scarcity. Scarcity thinking. I die. Life, by definition, is limited. Everything's limited. I, I, will I be generous? Well, I'll give what's my extra money, but I won't actually hurt my finances because I've got to be safe. I've got to, death is real. I have to bring things in. Yes, I'll, I'll volunteer some of my time, but I won't touch my vacations because life is short. I have a limited amount of years. I have to enjoy it. We shape our lives. We acquiesce to the shape of life defined by death. And what Jesus is saying is if you're going to follow me, you can't have a life shaped by death. Your life must be shaped by my life, which, yes, crosses through death on the cross to a new and better life. Right? Because if you're a Christian, what we have here is not the end. You have 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Really what you should be saying is that I have infinite years. I don't have to devote my life to my obsession over my desires and my dreams because I actually devote my life to sacrificially give to the other because it's hurting this world and it's not wasted time. The trips I didn't take, the money I didn't spend, the fun I didn't have, I don't see that as a loss because in fact I live forever with Jesus. Everything I lose will be given back to me. I can live my life with radical generosity. I can use my money, not just be counting what I'm giving, but actually give it. I can be generous with my time for those who need it. Because I'm not defined by death. I'm defined by the cross of Jesus. Jesus who gave everything that you and I might have life and love forever. Do you see that?
Dear friends, I hope that we can. I'm not making this up. This is just what Jesus is talking about. But I know that we're all at different parts of our spiritual journey. We have to be honest about that. We have to be sensitive. We're about to go to the Lord's table. We're happy to have Holy Communion today. We're receiving the grace of God's sacrifice on the cross. His death gives us life. This we trust and believe. As you come forward to receive the elements, I hope that you like bring that in your heart. If that's something you're struggling with, there's no better person to bring your struggles and your doubts than Jesus. He's right here. He's listening. He understands. He loves you so much. He's proven that. He's given his life for you. You can trust him. Let's all take up our crosses. Um, in the name of Jesus, let's pray. Dear God, we just give you thanks and praise that as hard as this world is and as uh, impossible it is for us to fix this world, we thank you that you haven't left us alone to our own devices. You've come into this world and you've given your life for us that you might heal not only this world, but even our hearts. God, sometimes it's just hard to trust and believe and we'd rather think under the umbrella of death, just think about ourselves and true comfort and pleasure. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to be uh, loving, not with limits, but with radical love and generosity. That's what this world needs. Help us do that in your name. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.